I'm Christopher Ward. Welcome to Season 2 of Famous Lost Words, a deep dive into the extremely extensive interview archives. Joining me as always, because he just can't help himself, my co-host and the creator of the show, Tom Jokic. Christopher, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that our extensive interview archives just got more extensiver. Is that a word? It is now. (laughs) Okay. Our good friends at CJAD 800 in Montreal have joined the party in a big way. Not only do they they continue to air the show every weekend, they have sent us some interviews for future episodes, so we can't wait to hear more from them, including on this very episode. The bad news is, is that I've come back with a whole new season's worth of opinions. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, Tom, let's take a minute to acknowledge all of our various platforms. We've got News Talk 1010 in Toronto, our flagship radio station, CJAD 800 in Montreal, and our newest... Welcome to CFRA in Ottawa. Oh, yeah. My girlfriend is from Ottawa, and I don't think her family quite gets what I do, but they will now. So briefly, just to get our Ottawa friends caught up, Famous Lost Words is all about digging up lost interviews from our archives and playing the best parts. It's as simple as that. Well, of course, the show is also available to more than 100 million people who subscribe to the iHeartRadio app, not to mention Apple Podcasts, and now Spotify. So if you're a new listener in Ottawa, or anywhere for that matter, you can download past episodes of the show anytime on any of those platforms. You can hear interviews with Tom Petty, John Lennon, Chrissy Hine, Prince, and so many others. Okay, so today, Season 2, Episode 1, we are really running the gamut of wildly different artists to start the new season. First up will be Coldplay from 2005 upon the release of their album X and Y, and it's a ton of fun. Chris Martin, Will Champion, they're friendly, they're relaxed, they're goofy, just having a great time. I actually forgot how much fun this interview is, and I was there at the time. And then we go back to the 80s, the early 80s, with highlights of three different interviews with Peter Gabriel. Now, you and I are huge fans of his, Tom. We've both interviewed him. But these interview clips are a revelation, including the real reason why he briefly reunited with Genesis in 1982. And it's because his life was threatened if he didn't. Oh, wow. More to come on that. Yeah. And as we mentioned earlier, we have our friends at CJAD 800 in Montreal to thank for jumping into the pool as well. This time around, it's a brief chat with one of our favorites, Melissa Etheridge, from only a year ago. Melissa talks about her love of that city, her own French-Canadian heritage, and of course, why the power and importance of music is even more vital in today's fractured society. Good stuff is on the way. That's all coming up on Season 2. Episode 1 of Famous Lost Words. Now, when I saw that we had Coldplay, I went, oh, okay, cool. I like Coldplay. And I was there when we did this interview. In fact, you can hear me laughing in the background, as (laughs) you can on pretty much everything. There's a lot of laughing on this interview. (laughs) I forgot how good this interview is. So it's from about, uh, it's from 2005, upon the release of the album X and Y. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. It's so much fun. It's Chris Martin and Will Champion. Will Champion from the band. He's the drummer. And they are in fine form. And Chris is like a stand-up comic. He's, he's having a lot of fun with us. But it's also very easygoing. That's what I love about this chat. So there's a lot of personality here. It's Will Champion, Chris Martin from Coldplay, and they're in conversation with Roger Ashby and Marilyn Dennis. We've been locked in the studio for two years. And uh, yesterday we got here and it was like being reminded that 
people used to like us. Oh, and, 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 and it seems like some of them still did. It was oh, incredible. Sure, we sure. kind of forgot. We sort of forgotten. Well, I, I think you'll get treated well while you're here because a lot yeah. of people, you know, they will acknowledge your presence and say hello to you, but oh, they, won't, they won't bother you. Right. It's we exceptional. Kind of have a reputation for that. It's, in, it's incredible. But you know, I expect you think we say that everywhere we go, so I'm not going to keep going on about it. Well, yeah, please, you are going on a bit, aren't you? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you said uh, yesterday, I think it was you, Chris, that said uh, we've dropped a couple of pounds. Some of us had a nip and a tuck, and we just look a lot better. Well, that's for you to judge. Oh, you, you, look you have great. a picture of Colin Firth on your desk, so I certainly you've got do. higher standards. Do you have a story about Colin Firth you said you wanted to share with me? Actually, I did. I, I, because I, we're involved with this thing called Make Trade Fair. Yes. And. Uh, we had this dinner the other day, and I'd never hosted a dinner before in my life. Mm-hmm. But Colin Firth came, and oh. all the girls were incredibly excited. Oh, and he yeah. just sat there looking like Mr. Darcy. And yes. It was incredible. <laughs> and then and then I got a cab home with him, and we got photographed together, which was great because it was, you know, some people might romantically link us. <laughs> and so, As I if you that, need that. I know, I know <laughs> yeah. that my mum was incredibly proud to see that picture. Oh, Hey, Will, keep it down over there, okay? You're talking too much. I'll be quiet. Yeah. How Will's are you, Will? I'm fine, thanks. You're I don't very... have any stories about having a date with Colin Firth. Yeah. Well, do you have any stories? Colin Farrell, maybe. But, oh, I bet you Colin Farrell. Yeah, Will, sh- Will likes the bad boys. Yeah. Uh-huh. You, you have a, 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 great, <laughs> a great Canadian connection in as much as, you know, it's hard to believe now, I think, that there was no major U.S. record label yeah. interested in you guys mm. when you first started out. And that's... That's been often the case with a lot of British bands over the last 30 years mm-hmm. or so who seem to get picked up by a Canadian label first and then they break in the States afterwards. And yeah. you're just the latest example of that. Yeah. Sure. Well, because we owe a lot to Network, you know. That's right. It was Network Records who picked up on you. Yeah. It was Network. And, you know, we kind of fell out with them uh, years later, but we still really owe them big time. Not financially, but <laughs> in terms of <laughs> props. So we'd like to give them props, you know, because yeah. they really... You know, our, our label in America kind of passed on us until we started selling yeah. records. So this new uh, uh, CD is coming out on June 7th, and it's called X and Y. X and Y, why? What is that on? No, no, just one Y. Okay. <laughs> and why is it X and no, Y? No, no, just X, X and Y. y. <laughs> I gotcha. This, Who's on first? This joke can I know, run and run. I know, I know. Something uh, about a mathematical... It's ma- you know, I, the thing is, we've been asked this question a bunch, and every time we answer it, we, we regret it. So you just make it be whatever you want it to be. Oh, come on. Okay, well, it's about uh, unkno- you know, it's about answers that you get for things that aren't really answers at all. So that's the idea of X and Y in mathematics. And uh, it's also to do with everything having two sides. And it's, it's like a cooler way of saying yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for, for white boys from Britain to start calling their albums yin and yang would be highly, <laughs> highly pretentious. <laughs> so, so, you know, Will would never have had that, would you, Will? No, absolutely not. Now, you guys all met at university? Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, so who's the one that put it together, put you guys together? Uh, well, there's, a, you know... Johnny, probably. The guiding hand. What's the name of that guy who put O-Town together? Uh, oh, the, the little the little guy with the weight Lou problem. Perlman. Lou Perlman. Lou Perlman. We auditioned. Well, yeah. what were you studying in university when you met these? Uh, Sarcasm. Uh, yeah, that that for sure. Yes. That you weren't the I anthropology was, major, I was were you? Studying anthropology. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were. Well, how do you, you look like an anthropology? Well, how major? do you know? You seem to be very well, the, incisive. The field, the field experiment is going very well. <laughs> this is all because one big project have, for you. You know why, Chris? Because I have a minor, minor in anthropology. Really? And I really? saw the people in the class and I said, I'm not going to minor in this. I'm getting out of here. It's well, crazy. Did you, go you? To co- you went to college, right? Yes, I did. I yeah. thought so from the glasses. But where? Where? <laughs> where? 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 <laughs> University of Idaho. 
Wow. It's a long way yeah. away from where you went. Now, you what did you study? Ancient history. I studied ancient history. Yeah. Yes, and and how? Where we? What were you going to do? Hear about this? I want to know what you were going to do with it. But does it help with your writing, though? I mean, really. Um, you know, it helps if, if you ever get asked to write a song in Latin. <laughs> it helps. You're bad. You're bad. But uh, does it help? I mean, the thing is, to be perfectly honest, yes. Will, who you might think is quiet, but is in fact, you know, the linchpin <laughs> of the band. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Any time I try and get anything vaguely cultural or uh, anybody's name or anything from mythology or anything into our songs, he kind of bans it because. I come in singing, listen to this, Zeus came down from above <laughs> and said to the clouds, you know, and he just says, Chris, stop singing about Zeus <laughs> and start singing about girls again. <laughs> and so, so it, it does, it does have an influence, but it's always stamped out before yeah. it's gone too far. Yeah. Why don't we take some calls from sure. listeners if you're prepared to sure. do that? We have Amanda on the line. Amanda, how are you? Hi, how are you? Hello. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Chris. Hi, Will. How are you doing? Not too bad, thanks. How are Excellent. you? Very good. Thanks. You sound very nice. Thank you. What's your question, honey? Well, I was just wondering what you guys listen to these days, what artists or bands or, you know, what's in your CD player today? That's our favorite question. Right now, the thing that's in our CD player is um, the Arcade Fire. Who are Canadian. Oh, cool. Amazing, They're from record. Montreal. And uh, what else? Craftwork. We always listen to Craftwork. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Craftwork are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're this old German band. Who yeah. invented everything? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm obsessed with the Beatles. Funny enough, I think they could be massive. <laughs> One day. <laughs> you have you two in there in that CD player? I mean, you know, we have we listen to everything all the time. Yeah. And at the moment, it's kind of liberating because we're listening to things without having to plagiarize them. So, <laughs> so I am in fact listening to a lot of you two at the moment because I'm not worried about stealing too heavily from it. You know, it's Bono's birthday today. You're going to give him a call? Uh, actually. M- uh, maybe. maybe. Yeah. You were at their concert the other day? Were you I can't in Chicago? I can actually yeah. say maybe, but yeah. Maybe. Yeah. maybe we should. Thanks for your call, you're Amanda. Very, hey, hey, Amanda, problem. thanks a lot. You're very much into the fair trade campaign. Very, very much. And you've been very active in that. Are you yeah. going to, like, like Bonner, are you going to go on the international stage? And, well, and this, I, well, do you want to answer that one? Mm, no, you go for it. <laughs> you know, we, we're really behind fair trade because... You know, it's it's just something we really believe in, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it seems to us that it's better to better to advertise that than to advertise sneakers or, you know, mm-hmm. some kind of coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think we see ourselves as like proper politicians, you know. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Bono's a pretty unique and special man, and we're just a, a not very unique and not very special band, and we just talk <laughs> about it because. We really believe in it. I guess that's it. You've got to dis- decide to what extent you want to talk about this, yeah, to what extent you feel it. that you should talk about it. Mm-hmm without uh, overdoing it, perhaps. It's just a case of pointing people in the right direction. Yeah. We're not, we don't know all the answers. We know where you can find them, though. We, know we direct people to yeah. websites and, and that kind of thing. So. Yeah. It's just something we believe in. I, th- I think we'd yeah. believe in fair trade even if we worked in a bakery. Mm-hmm. We just wouldn't be interviewed about it so yeah. much. I, I Unless our you. buns were incredibly good. Yeah. So take advantage of the situation <laughs> and, yeah. and state your case. <laughs> you know? But I don't think any of us are quite ready. F- I mean, you know, we're just not, we're just not knowledgeable enough to do mm-hmm. the stuff that he does and Bob... Geldof does and Bill Gates does and all that. Hey, I know that uh, this Thursday on the OC, you've got a song that's going to be on the uh, Thursday episode of the OC called Fix You. Mm, when songs are used like this, do you yeah. not have to give your personal approval? How does that work? Uh, actually, in this, this instance, we, we probably, we don't, yeah. we never mind it being put on TV shows. And in fact, it's your job. Well, too. it's anything that is, that kind of can complement uh, another piece. Of, I mean, to, to call it art might be a bit kind of overblown, but anything that is, you know, used in a, in a 
in a reasonable way and, and not used to kind of shift sell produce stuff, sell and we're right. quite happy with it right and, you know there's a big myth that we don't let our music be used in films or anything like that and that's not true because we love you know being in films and, and being on tv it's just the 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 use of our music to you know to question promote of how a, to yeah. promote a product like you yeah. know we've been offered lots and lots of money to and you've turned down drinks. sponsorships of, the, of that nature, right? Well, yeah, yeah and, 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 you know, every time we come anywhere anywhere close to it, we always get very, very anxious and pull out. The mm -hmm. other, we, we had this whole thing with a ringtone that was happening with our single, and then we got told we maybe we were going to sign some deal, and it just, as soon as anything product-based comes our way, we, mm -hmm. we just get terrified and we just run, the, run a mile because... Mm -hmm. You know, just so many bands that we've loved have kind of ruined songs by it's you know, driving around, you know, Volkswagen in the commercial. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. you know once, once you get to a point where you can eat whatever you like every day and sleep in a comfortable bed, you know, there's no point in just going for the money after mm -hmm. that. I, I think that's great. I think that's a great attitude. Mm -hmm. you, you guys almost seem astonished at your success. It's true. Well, we, I mean, how, how could you not be? We're every, not a day goes by that we don't. Certainly for at least, well, I get, I'm getting a moment every day where it's like, Good yeah. heavens, how on earth am I here? We, we could have so been lucky. born in, in Uganda 500 years ago without trying to get too hippie on you. <laughs> but it's true, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so we, we work incredibly hard. We think we're incredibly good. But we also can't believe anybody else agrees. And you and you, know, and you, and you take you take nothing for granted, right? Absolutely. You take nothing. Yeah, for what's granted. A, you can't take anything for granted. I think you, that's, you know that's that. a great yeah. attitude. Yeah. I think more people you're you're, you're that a year attitude. or so older than me. You know that. Uh, absolutely. Especially not take me for granted. Yeah, you should really take. Exactly. You two, are, I mean, you have a great relationship. Thank you. Why is well, that? No don't, sex. Don't, don't reveal what we were talking about off the air. We've got uh, Allison on the line. Hi, yes. Allison. Hello. How Hi are there. you? Hi, Allison. Hi, Will. Hi, Chris. How are you guys? Very good. Yeah, we're good. Thank you. Good. I will be seeing you guys on Wednesday. Great. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Cool house. My, yes, at the Cool House. My question for you guys is uh, kind of taking off on these pre-concerts. Why did you guys decide to do the teaser concerts before your album release? Well, I think um, we're fully aware that we have no rights to, to just go walk straight back into these massive places and expect everyone to... Uh, you know, to pay money to come and see us because we, you know, we've been away for a long time and I think uh, we firmly believe that we, we have to start at ground level again. We have to start at, um, at, at the to bottom. prove yourself. Yeah, we have to earn our stripes again and we have to learn how to uh, play the, the new songs live. And so I think it's uh, it's very important to us to make sure that we that we do things properly and we don't just take, like we were talking about earlier, don't take things for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have no idea how many people are willing to come and see us. So... It's nice that, um, you know, when we heard that the concert had sold out in Toronto really quickly, we were... 33 seconds. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I don't understand so. how it took so long. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, thanks, thanks, thanks for Allison. calling in. Thank thanks, you Alison. guys. Okay, bye-bye. Alison's my mum's name, by the way. What a great name. Thank you very much. And it's my daughter's middle name. Oh, that's great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> how, well, do you, how do you spell it? Uh, um, A-L-I. <laughs> okay. One L. Yeah, the normal way. One do you L? have a Y? Two L's. You can't have two L's in Allison. That's Allison. Oh, <laughs> oh, do you have? Are you? Is it yeah, Allison? Are you called Allison? I'm the Allison. Yes. Oh wow! I'm sorry. Okay, Allison. I'm sorry. I messed up on national radio again. No. Okay. Hey, Kristen. She brought up Thanks, your, your daughter just very quickly. It, traveling. She's what nine months old now. No, she's actually one on Saturday. Is she? Happy birthday to her! Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm going to say happy birthday. She's the greatest yeah. human in the world. Oh, that's so great. Well, congratulations on that. Hey, thanks a lot. That's terrific. And it, what's it like being a daddy and on I the mean, road? Well, you know, I spoke to someone yesterday whose dad used to work in a, on an oil rig, mm. and she didn't used to see him for six months. So, the, we're very lucky at this point because 
you know, like you said, we have a flying bus and, mm-hmm. you know, we can see people quite easily. And um, Apple, my daughter, I, you know, I see her a lot, which is amazing. That's great. You know, in the old days, we wouldn't have been able to because we were in a van. and mm-hmm. She know. can't drive. <laughs> she can't drive. One of our callers earlier pointed out, and I, you can tell me if this is true or not, that you and Gwyneth never walked down the red carpet together. No, you know, I, we kind of consider that... Um, Although she's in the public eye and I'm in the, you know, we don't really consider that our relationship is like a mm. public thing, you know, and mm-hmm. and so if we started doing that, it would kind of be a little hypocritical, you know. Also, I, I you know, I just don't have the outfits. <laughs> to be, I, I leave that to her. Will, Will, Will's got more outfits. He's better at red maybe, carpets. Maybe you and Will should walk down the red carpet together. I think that'd be great. I think we so, will. too. He likes bad boys, though. We've yeah. already established <laughs> that. I guess so. I guess He's so. not bad enough Maybe you and Colin Farrell could walk down the red carpet. <laughs> I'm waiting for Axl Rose. <laughs> all right. All Aren't right. we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> Thanks very much to both of you for yes. coming. Is that it? Is that it? That's it. Is there anything else you want to add before we go? I'd like to add that it's been a pleasure. Isn't that great? I love that you just let it run, too. Oh, sure. There would be the temptation to sort of, you know, chop it up. Been edited down, yeah. but it's like you get more of a feeling of the actual yeah. experience. You know what I love is how warm they are with the listeners. Sure. Oh yeah, the listeners are calling in. Everything is just a lot of fun and really loose, and the com- like. It's almost like instant camaraderie. You know, Christopher, I tell people all the time that among my favorite artists that I've met, um, there are a few that have that aura. You hear it about politicians, right? Yeah. You hear it about people like Bill Clinton. And you hear about Pierre Trudeau. But um, but I've met a couple of rock stars like that, and there's something about Chris Martin that's the same way. The other artist that had that same quality was Keith Urban. He came in, performed live, and he was fantastic. Ah. He's magnetic, just like Chris Martin is. And Chris Martin is kind of this gawky-looking guy. Right. And, and yet there's something really charming and magnetic and there and it it felt real it doesn't feel put on with him right so that's why it was a real thrill uh to talk to him and to have him in the studio all right coming up next oh this is some really good stuff we've got three different interviews with peter gabriel we've taken the best parts of all three interviews and we'll play them for you next including the story of a threat on peter gabriel's life very interesting stuff coming up on famous lost words Christopher, now we're talking about Peter Gabriel, one of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Tom, an artist like Peter Gabriel, who challenges himself on an ongoing basis, they're bound to find themselves at crossroads at different times in their career. Mm-hmm. I mean, for Gabriel, obviously, leaving Genesis would be the first really big one of those. But in a way for him, I feel that each solo album represented a step in such a new direction, musically and lyrically, that each new album was a frontier mm-hmm. for him and his yeah. career, if you like. Um, and when he finished that third self-titled solo LP in 1980, you know, the one with the melting face on the that cover. That is one of the greatest albums made in that time period. I absolutely love that album. Yeah, it defines the era yes. in many ways. Starts with Intruder, ends with Biko, Games Without Frontiers on it, Family Snapshot. I love that album. So you've listened to this once or twice. Once or twice, yes. <laughs> well, Peter hit another crossroads at that point that may have been a little unexpected. Atlantic Records, who put out his first two solo LPs, as well as the last two Genesis albums, turned it down flat. <laughs> Good call, guys. So Gabriel talks about how does that make you feel? Well, I think initially... I knew they didn't like it. They sent someone over, an A&R person, who, other than attempting to uh, 
encouraged me to make one track sound like the Doobie Brothers. Didn't really like uh, the way it was going. I think they felt that with my second album, I moved a little to the left, and with this album, that I'd gone off the edge of the universe, and it wasn't an area that they were particularly familiar with or wanted to be involved with, and didn't think was going to generate them any income. So both the album and, and myself as an artist were, were given the, the big elbow. So, uh, which, I mean, I thought they would just put it out and not bother with it. But it's fine, fine with me, because if, if they don't want to work it, then maybe someone else can. Um, and then um, the album, uh, particularly in Europe, has done very well. They wanted a doobie. <laughs> I don't know if he's just being, like, wry at that point, or whether they actually said, hey, could you do listen to the music? Sure, sure. I think I probably at that point, uh, what a fool believes. So it would have been even like Michael (laughs) McDonald era doobies. And they probably would have said, you know, we need something maybe catchier. Like what a fool believes, man. You don't know me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that would, uh, can you imagine what Peter Gabriel would have thought of that? Because here he is, an artist in his own right. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, great stuff. It's not pretty. Mm -hmm. Well, in perhaps... A logical sort of growth as an artist, Gabriel began to take on more socially conscious themes on this album. You've been getting a little more, uh, I see it anyways, uh, into uh, political statements. Uh, there are, I believe, three on this album. Biko, uh, Family Snapshot, and uh, Games Without Frontiers to a, to a degree. Do you feel that making a political statement is going to do anything? With Biko, it's definitely a political statement, whereas the other two, I think, are perhaps more in the vein which which I've been exploring to some extent in the past and things which have social references uh, I've done on quite a few songs although it's not always been obvious or people haven't picked up on it I think a lot of people over the value the effect of music both in the 60s the sort of hippie period uh, and again with with all the, the punk and new wave thing when there's a sort of new revolutionary uh, platform, there are grand ideas about social reform as a result of pop music, which I think are greatly exaggerated. But I think what you can do is perhaps trigger ideas and uh, tap people's thinking into a given direction. Oh, sure. And that Biko song about Stephen Biko, mm. a South African activist, was a very, very moving one and a great part of his concerts from that point on. You know, it's funny. I was just going to say that mm-hmm. I saw some of his shows of that era, and well, and and in many years following, and that song was often featured, and mm-hmm. it was also often, I think, one of the most powerful moments in the show. For sure, and it'd be one of those things like that's not that wasn't a big song on the radio or anything, right? No. But for fans, they would know that. But if you were a non-fan and you showed, and you're you're expecting to hear Sledgehammer and Games Without Frontiers and maybe some of the other uptempo stuff, and that song starts, big you'll time. go, "What is big time?" And then you hear this song with boom. Boom. And this almost uh, deeply, you know, organic African sound coming through and you're going, what's happening here? What's And then by the end of it, you are blown away because mm. it was such a powerful, powerful performance. By the way, nice kick drum sound. Boom. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good in my headphones. That's all I know. Yeah. Um, so let's get to that famous Genesis one-off reunion, shall we? Okay. So Peter talks about this story and we'll get back to you on this one sure the word is that this concert this reunion concert with genesis is a one-off is it going to be filmed videotaped or otherwise recorded in any way yeah it's really a one-man benefit which is this sort of 
world music event that I was mm. involved with. So um, I think both uh, they and I are seeing it as the benefit, which uh, to raise money is a reunion rather than a reunion um, which happens to be a benefit. So uh, the emphasis, yeah, is on it being a, just a, just a one-off and not really as a, a musical career move. Does that mean no, there's not going to be any recording? Uh, I think that's correct, yeah. I mean, I don't mind that I'm leaving it up to them because they're giving me the opportunity of, uh, uh, of raising a lot of cash quickly, mm -hmm. which is what we need to try and bail the festival thing out. So um, it's up to them. So here's the story. So he alludes to the fact that they had to do this so he could pay off the debt of a WOMAD, which is a world music uh, organization mm -hmm. uh, because as you know he's been the standard bearer for world music for many years and right. has done great work in you know bringing world music to the rest of us to North America particularly and to England true right and so he held a festival the festival did not make money okay so in an article in Rolling Stone just a few I would say a few months or a couple of years ago they reveal what really happened so it's a 1982 um Reunion concert with Je Peter Gabriel joining Genesis for a one-off, and the reason why they had to do it is he had to pay that debt because people were literally threatening his safety and threatening his life if he didn't pay off that debt. So he goes to the guys in Genesis and says, "Guys, I I need this. I need this to happen. Are you guys okay with it?" And they say, "Of course we are." And the only non-Genesis song they did in that concert was Salisbury Hill, which is a song about leaving Genesis, which is phenomenal in its own way. If you listen to the lyrics on that, um, it, it's both kind of interesting, kind of euphoric at the sense of freedom that he has, but it's also, there's a little bit of bitterness in that song about leaving Genesis and about how he was treated during that time. So it's interesting that he got to play that song with them. But they always remained in touch. In fact, on that third album, the one with the melting face, uh, Phil Collins played drums on many of the cuts on that album. So oh, wasn't still... he on the first album too? Oh, he might have been. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, a good thing yeah. staying amicable with your former bandmates. That's there's right. A, there's an object lesson there. For sure. And getting and, along. And Peter Gabriel played on a couple of Phil Collins albums as well, including No Jacket Required. But yeah, that's a crazy story. How about they were threatening to kill him if he didn't pay off. And he goes to his old buddies. They perform, and I believe that's the only time they've performed as Peter Gabriel and Genesis together. Since. And that's in the Rolling Stone archives, right, online? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting story. So now we move ahead to 1982, and he's talking about the album Security, even though we'll find out about the album title in a second, what, how he really wanted that to play out. And the song was called Shock the Monkey. Well, Tom, sometimes when you want to understand a song, you just have to ask the writer. And um, Gabriel had some surprises when asked about one of his very biggest hits. We've been sort of debating what Shock the Monkey is all about, whether it's about getting rid of heroin habit, whether it's uh, looking out for animals who are experimented with, or whether it's a catchphrase that you're just playing with to make the rhymes. Yeah, I think I've confused a few people there, but the actual subject was uh, jealousy. So it's sort of animal behavior produced by shock uh, from sexual jealousy. So, it, and it's sort of Tamla influenced, although the arrangement is a bit more modernistic. Uh -huh. um, the groove and the, the style of lyric writing was supposed to be uh, Tamla tradition. Shock the Monkey is about sexual jealousy. I don't even know what that is. Sexual jealousy? Yes. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna hang tell on. you. Hang on, I feel like a 10 year old. <laughs> Daddy, what's sexual jealousy? <laughs> well, what I mean well, is... Well, so let's wait till this radio program's <laughs> over and 
we'll have a we'll have a smart drink and get on with it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, and it was also influenced by Tamla, which is the British term for Motown, because that's what the Motown songs yeah. were called Tamla in England. Yes. Um, Thank but you there for that you explanation. Go. Well, Sexual... well you, knew, you knew the important part. <laughs> exactly. Tamla's important. Sexual jealousy? Not too sure about that. Okay. Go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay out of the rest of this interview. Go. No, you're you're good. Um, this this is sort of a strange clip coming up. He he had some what, what I thought of as being odd hopes uh, for the album that became Security. The series it's the world's first disposable title. In other words, when it's in the shop and people need to identify it, uh, and the record company wants to stay happy, then it's it has a title. But theoretically, when it gets home, the title should disappear with the shrink wrap. Shrink wrap. I was a little distressed to see it on the. Uh, the label in the center of the vinyl, and I'm hoping that it will uh, vanish from that quite soon. Hilarious. You know, there was always the running joke, like, which Peter... Ga- uh, I've got Peter Gabriel's new album. Oh, yeah, right. what's it called? And it's called Peter Gabriel. Yeah. And the first three were called that, and that's great. He wanted the fourth one to be called that, too, because the shrink wrap would have security on. You pour the, you pull the shrink wrap off, and it no longer has a title. There you but go. But there's something that I didn't quite understand. Was he talking about it actually kind of evaporating, like once you exposed it to air or something? No, no. He 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 figures once the just the plastic goes, the title goes. Oh, That's what he okay. means by disappear. Yeah, Daddy. <laughs> I don't See, I don't get sexual jealousy, and you don't get evaporating shrink wrap labels. You're so right. <laughs> All right. Um, Gabriel, as we know, was long at the forefront of music video making. I mean, this was actually kind of early days for that aspect of his career. He went on to do some spectacular work. Um, and he had some ideas about where that medium could be going. Do you have any videos in mind from uh, the security app? Well, there's one for the single, the, the Shot the Monkey uh, track, but the um, I have been over the summer working with a painter and a sculptor on some video experiments, and I hope eventually to have a 40 or 60 minute thing. Out, which mm. will be, I hope, a bit different to most rock videos, which tend to be just visual versions of an album. Um, but I, th- I think eventually that medium's going to really develop, and at the moment, most of what we see are fairly sort of flashy promotional items for singles, and I think what will eventually evolve is something which is as different to a single, uh, to a video single, if you like, as an audio single is to an audio album. In other words, mm-hmm. this sort of video album should be something which works under a different set of rules and doesn't have to worry about getting you know, main exposure. I think that clip is so fascinating because he's talking about the possibilities. And of course, we know what happened with Peter Gabriel and video, especially with the video for the song Sledgehammer. The most played video, I believe, in MTV history, and I would assume in much music history as well. It got played so much because it was so creative with the dancing chickens and his face making all of these different expressions. And it was all stop time animation. And it was so creative, so groundbreaking that it's so cool to hear him before he does all that. And knowing that videos are the future and just another form of expression uh, to add to the art of his music. For what it's worth, I think our most played video was Tears Are Not Enough. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, but but I'm going to guess that Sledgehammer is within the top five. Sure. But he also talks about long-form video in, in that quote. And I wonder... He had this vision of, of, of a time in the future when it sounded like the idea was that this, the song and the video would not be so interlinked. 
that the video would be a, not be a commentary on the song or a representation of it in any literal sense. Well, that all came to pass. But the notion of long-form video, in many ways, for me, did not. Some artists who had the budget and the creative instincts to do that like Bowie. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Michael Jackson. They did have the opportunity to do those kinds of things, but most artists never did Mm -hmm. realize that dream. But you know who's brought that back quite a bit is Beyonce. You know, with her album Lemonade, that was as much a video album as it was a regular album. And by the way, one of the best albums of the last 10 years by a mile, I think. Yeah, great example. For sure. Hey, Tom, have you ever seen Melissa Etheridge live? I have not, but I adore her, and I adored her from her very first album, that self-titled album, which was fantastic. Well, speaking of her first album, uh, I remember when she came to Toronto the first time, and she did a little tiny press show at the Rivoli Tavern, I believe. And it was literally a handful of people and probably more record company people than than otherwise. Sure, one of those showcase things. it was... Yeah, and she did a handful of songs, and it was jaw-droppingly great. You just had that sense that, okay, I'm in the presence of somebody who's going to have a very long and interesting career if they want to. And sure enough, 30 years later, she's still going strong. Absolutely. And she's just such a passionate performer. And, you know, it's it's great to see that she's still around. She has her own... Um, she has her own show on Sirius XM, which is fantastic, and, uh, and it's called Melissa's Basement, um, and they're going to reference that in the uh, interview we're about to hear. Um, and she's still as passionate as ever uh, about her music and her art. So here from our friends in Montreal at CJAD 800 is Aaron Rand in conversation with Melissa Etheridge from last year. i got to tell you, the Montreal Forum was the first time I ever played an arena. My first album was so big in Montreal, you guys embraced me so <laughs> fully that that was a played to a, a, a huge arena, and I played there a couple more times, and the last time I played there was the very last time anyone performed there, and I, and it was, it was a really special night, and, and I, I've always remembered that. It is definitely in the top three or four places of the world for me to play. The audience, your love of music, your love of rock and roll, uh, your beautiful artistry and, and heart and soul there. I love, love playing Montreal. I cannot say that enough. And, and is it is part of that because of the whole French issue here as well, where people who you think maybe don't know you or didn't know you before you started playing here to big arenas, as you said, suddenly, you know, they've embraced the music as well. I mean, they're French, you're English, but there there doesn't seem to be a language barrier for the music. Yeah, that was that was what what really struck me at first was there was not a language barrier. I mean, I appreciate how much you know the the French to speak English there, but even even those that weren't that fluent in English really understood. You know, they they understood like the way I do. You know, they understood. Bring me some water, and and I, I, I it's a beautiful it's a beautiful language. I I do speak. You know, un peu, un petit peu of of French, and um, you know, and I also found out uh, in my ancestry I am actually part French Canadian. Uh, you know, there's a show called Who Do You Think You Are, and they they do they trace your ancestry, and and then they they take you they take the celebrity to these places, and we went to Quebec City, and and my my ancestors came directly uh, it's my father's mother's side so my grandmother on my father's side her side of the family with the janice j-a-n-i-s 
French Canadian, you betcha. Very cool. All right, listen, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what you're up to today. I know you have your uh, your serious uh, station, which is Melissa's Basement. Uh, you entertain a lot of artists. I know Serena Ryder was there not that long ago. She's a Canadian. We're obviously very proud of her. Uh, what else are you up to these days? Yeah. Man, these are interesting days. I'm, I'm touring. I'm doing my summer tour, which, you know, is probably my favorite because I just get to, you know, play the music for the people and connect with folks. Uh, I'm also writing. These are very, let's say, interesting times, and I believe these are times where artists really can contribute to the whole, you know, society's fabric and really help sort of lift us up and inspire. And I think that's that's my job right now. And I, I'm I'm writing this summer, and I'm going to start recording at the end of the year, and really looking forward to like putting some music out to kind of move us. You know, I think we all need to be moved. I think we're in a, a very unique place in the world and in our society, and I think music has a big part of it. So when you say that, I mean, my inclination is you're talking about being politically inspired here. Is that part of it? Well, it's funny. Our politics are so enmeshed now with our personal issues. You know, when when it's about uh, the fear of the other, the fear of the other's skin, the fear of the other's religion, the fear of the other's love, that's political, yes, but it's also personal. You know, those are those are all things that are very personal to me. So, you know, yes, there's a. I don't think there's a hard line between. Well, this is personal stuff, and that's political because it's it's also enmeshed now. Our politics have become you know, politics yeah. of identity and and of our persons. So, yes, is is a long answer to that question. So there you go. Melissa Etheridge in conversation with Aaron Rand from CJAD 800 in Montreal just from last year. And as you can tell, Christopher, she's really revved up in the current political climate of having to say that she thinks need to be said on behalf of her fans and her music. I guess it's a time for artists to figure out just how engaged and involved and how open with their opinions they're going to be. Sure thing. And it is interesting because in many respects, not a lot of people are stepping up, um, uh, you know, to voice their opinion one way or the other. And so it is very interesting when they do. And now, once again, it's time for The Wisdom of Dave with David Lee Roth. And here he is talking about Van Halen producer Ted Templeman. Well, it's good to see him back in men's clothing. But besides that, you know, it's just been straight up and through the church ceiling, so to speak. We've... Our relationship with Teddy is he's rather like the fifth member of the band, as as well as uh, Don Landy. Actually, there are a whole slew of fifth members of this band. You know, you just sort of grab on. But Teddy has been there since the beginning. And when we work up the tunes in the basement of the studio, Teddy stands around in a circle and we all hum at each other, which is technically exactly how we do it. And same thing for when we invent our videos or for when we invent our album covers. Teddy is usually there standing in the circle saying, well, I like this, I like that, what do you think about this? And we politic. Mm-hmm. We have a very democratic situation in the band here. I use code words when I say, guys, I think we have a situation. That means I'm about to filibuster. Get you, <laughs> you better get a beer and a fresh ashtray. <laughs> Okay, there's Dave. There's double speak from Dave. The wisdom of Dave, David Lee Roth, just going on about whatever it is Dave goes on about. Now, we have 
I think only two more clips, so in the next two weeks, we'll hear the rest of the wisdom of Dave. And if you need to get caught up, if you're a new listener and you need to get caught up, you don't want to miss the end of, of every episode with the wisdom of Dave, David Lee Roth. I think we should start auditioning Dave impersonators. Sure. That's an excellent bad idea. <laughs> okay. Hey, I want to do a quick shout out to Danko Jones. Uh, I'm a guest on his uh, podcast in a couple of weeks. He's a Canadian rock and roll guy mm-hmm. who's been doing it really for a long time and a fantastic musician and a really, really interesting guy. He called me out, though, on my uh, feelings about metal music and in particular our attitude towards the wisdom of Dave, which he also found amusing. But uh, Danko, we're with you, buddy. <laughs> Well, listen, listen, that does it for another episode. What? Listen, Danko, I mean, all David has to do is open his mouth and the mockery is just ripe for the picking. So that's all I have to say Mm -hmm. about that. Tom, that does it for another episode of Famous Lost Words produced by Adam Karsh. Adam, thank you. And if you're loving the show, please tell your friends about it. Give us five stars wherever you can. Little love goes a long way to keeping the show going. And remember to follow us on Facebook at Famous Lost Words on Twitter at Famous Lost Pod and on Instagram. Don't forget you can also catch up on all past episodes of Famous Lost Words on iTunes and the iHeartRadio app.